The moment we've been anticipating for two months now has finally come. The Capital Region got the green light this week to start the long and arduous multi-stage process of getting back to life as we knew it. On this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the top stories in the Times Union this week. It's going to go on for months and months and months. We'll hear a little more about a local controversy that flared up on social media. If you're not going to support a farm because its owners like Trump, then you're probably going to have a tough time buying food. And we'll get a load of this weather we're having. Snow showers on May 9th at 2.30 in the afternoon with the sun out. That's about as goofy as it gets. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. A look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Let's start, as always, with a look at what happened at the Times Union this week. Once again, we're here with Casey Seiler, Times Union editor. Uh, what do we got cooking this week? It looks like we had a big week. The capital region has been given the green light to reopen. What are we looking at? Well, to enter the first stage of reopening, which is we've still got a long way to go before we get to, I believe it's stage four, which will be kind of the, the new normal that will probably persist for a while until we have a vaccine. But yes, it's definitely a good thing that um, a long list of other businesses are now going to be able to open, you know, retail businesses still only for curbside pickup and that type of thing. But it's certainly very good news, especially for the construction industry that has been um, very much looking forward to getting back to work in a much more robust way. Of course, once again, it's a good news, bad news story because while this economic reopening is now proceeding, All of these school districts, municipalities, other taxing entities are now having to deal with the economic damage to the the bottom line, you know, their revenue streams. We're seeing layoffs beginning, um, layoff plans being announced, uh, furloughs, they're they're all coming. So the damage that is being done to uh, public entities is is only now beginning to become evident, but it's going to go on for months and months and months. More news that came out this week about the SPAC season. What are we, uh, what are we looking at here? Yeah, the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, in what was widely expected, but a bummer nonetheless, has canceled its classical season. So that means no Philadelphia Orchestra, no uh, New York City Ballet. Um, both of those, of course, high points of the, the cultural uh, season up in the spa city. And, you know, after last week's news that the Boston Symphony Orchestra was going to um, call off events at Tanglewood, which is, you know, one of my favorite things to do in the summer, you know, pack up a picnic and go over and listen to classical music on a, on a beautiful weekend evening. There's, there's nothing better, right? Um, that, the, the cancellation of SPAC after that wasn't much of a surprise, but they also canceled a, a number of concerts. I know Black Crows fans who were heartbroken at the news that that, that show was called off as well. And, you know, we're still waiting and hoping to find out 
what will happen to what is really the 800 pound gorilla uh, up in Saratoga during the summer, which is the track. What will the New York Racing Association do? We have seen indications in the fact that many races in the next couple of weeks are going to be held, but they're going to be held without any fans in the stands. And that, of course, would be a, you know, a, a terrible blow to Saratoga. Indeed, indeed. Lots of news to come on that, I'm sure. Uh, some news out of Schenectady as well. What was going on there? Larry Spring, who was the Schenectady uh, School uh, Superintendent for several years, going back, I guess, almost a decade, departed in March very, very suddenly with very little explanation. And Paul Nelson, in a story that took weeks of reporting, because for something like this, we do try to be very, very careful, reported that Spring's ouster came after the district's law firm presented a report that was prompted by a sexual harassment complaint against Spring. And it described what the report said was a pattern of behavior um, that involved his interactions with women. And as a result of that, Spring and the district parted ways. They signed a separation agreement that included a non-disparagement clause and that is the reason why the district has been completely silent in its public statements on, on Spring's departure. Spring himself gave us a, a quote that said, you know, he's bound by confidentiality, he can't talk about it, but that he has always worked to create a, a work environment where people can be respected and he's proud of the work that he and the rest of the district did over the course of his tenure. So the district in um, its meeting on Wednesday night, the school board continued to maintain its silence, and that's where we are. One of the things we've also been following pretty closely is the situation uh, at nursing homes in our region uh, under the pandemic. Uh, what have we been looking at there? COVID-19, as the governor said, has been moving like fire through dry grass in nursing homes across the state resulting in uh, many, many thousands of, of deaths. I believe it is the single biggest subset of deaths um, from the virus. The governor has taken heat by, uh, for his uh, original policy that said that nursing homes could not turn away patients if they were diagnosed with the illness as long as they were able to you know, maintain good hygiene, uh, had sufficient PPE, that kind of thing. Critics have noted that what that meant was that you had coronavirus patients being discharged from hospitals in some cases and being taken back into nursing homes, which of course presents you know, great peril even in, in very carefully monitored situations. That policy subsequently um, was tweaked by the governor. The administration uh, took some very harsh questions in the governor's briefing on Wednesday on this issue, and uh, Republicans have called for investigations, um, including the leaders, the Republican uh, leaders of the state Senate Minority Conference and Representative Elise Stefanik from the North Country as well, want to see a, a formal investigation of uh, the way that New York regulated uh, nursing homes as the coronavirus crisis emerged. Indeed, lots of very sobering news and lots of things that we got to keep an eye on in the weeks going forward. Coming up this weekend, we're going to have a new series called The Rebound. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
yeah, it's kind of an interesting, it'll be an interesting Sunday paper in print and of course online all the time. We're calling it The Rebound, and what it is is a series of stories that will be spread throughout the regular paper. In other words, it's not a special section, but it's sort of a themed series of stories looking at different ways in which institutions uh, or individuals or even communities are trying to find innovative ways to continue doing what they're doing. In other words, if it's a community, how can they come together in this time? If it's an artist, how can they either perform or show off their work? If it's a business, how are they reinventing themselves to acknowledge that this crisis is going to be with us in some way, shape, or form for a very long time, but how can we overcome it? How can we come up with new ideas to maintain our missions and the things that, that give meaning to our lives or that just you know keep us fed. So it's a number of really good stories looking at everything from, from business to neighborhoods to the arts to, um, to the ways that uh, nonprofits have attempted to, to rise to the occasion to serve the needs of the many, many people who have just been decimated. Decimated economically, decimated in terms of their own personal health or, or in some other ways by the crisis. Well, this is truly an interesting time to bear witness to, that's for sure. Yeah, indeed. All right. Thanks, Casey, for joining us. We'll check back in with you next week. Thanks, Jess. Tempers flared on Facebook this week after a popular local co-op posted a message about returning milk bottles. Columnist Chris Churchill looked into the matter and drew some conclusions about life, politics, and drinking milk. You wrote a column this week about a very uh, unexpectedly controversial topic. Can you kind of set the stage for us? What, What did you write about? Sure. So this is about Meadowbrook Farms, which a lot of people who live in Albany or, you know, Colony, places like Del Mar, will know as the company that delivers the milk. A lot of people have the white boxes on their porch. We have one. As a matter of fact, Meadowbrook was here just about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes ago. Awkward. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Although I don't think the, the guy who owned the company didn't get out of the truck, so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I did wonder if he was going to come out and kind of have a conversation with me. <laughs> so really, what what happened? What's the what's that issue here? Yeah, so they're also the the supplier, and they have been apparently for like thirty years of milk to the Honest Wheat Food Co-op, which is people who live in Albany will know is kind of a popular grocery store. It's probably fair to say it's more a more liberal place than your average grocery store. And they recently put a post on Facebook that said basically it was a very you know seemingly innocent post that said, hey guys, can you please return your milk bottles? Because during the pandemic, you know, Meadowbrook is not having as many bottles returned for whatever reason, and they're really struggling to produce milk. And that turned into a debate about, of course, President Trump, because Meadowbrook, as some Facebook commenters noted, has flies Trump flags at its uh, farm, which is a little bit south of, it's in Clarksville, which is a little bit south of Del Mar. It's on a busy road, people see the People see the farm and they've noticed the flags. I guess they've been there for years, but... These flags have, if you say they've been there for years, why hasn't this become a debate earlier? That's a good question. I think they probably have lost customers over the years because of the flags, but I think Meadowbrook is not a company that's online very much. They're not... It's probably been on Facebook before, but this is the first time it kind of erupted that I'm aware of as a debate. You talked about the minds. You were of several minds on this issue. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you parsed that out? So, I mean, sometimes as a columnist, you feel like you feel obligated to have, you know, quote unquote, a take, you know, a very clear and distinct, non-nuanced position. 
and I just don't really have one on this. I, it's one of those things where I can very easily see it from both sides. I, I can understand that if you despise President Trump and you think he's the worst thing that's ever happened to America, that you would be hesitant to buy milk from a company that clearly, you know, supports him. Uh, on the other hand, I think, you know, there were people calling for the co-op to stop selling the milk and saying, you know, it was Trump milk and this and that, and we shouldn't support anything that has anything to do with President Trump. I think that kind of goes too far. There's a danger, and it's it's um, becoming more and more obvious that, like, we're all retreating into our our little bubbles, you know, and it's very easy to do. You know, if you start if you start going down the road where, as I say in the column, you know, farmers overwhelmingly support President Trump. I think the poll that I saw and linked to in the column, it's something like 83% of farmers support President Trump. If you're not going to support a farm because its owners like Trump, then you're probably going to have a tough time buying food. And only that, it would just be an impossibility for a store like the co-op to try to like suss out every single owner's political beliefs. I mean, it would just be impossible. Sometimes the, the funny thing with local buying local is that when you get to know the farmer, you actually get to know the farmer. And sometimes that means you find out things that you may not like. Whereas the distant farmer in Nebraska may have the exact same beliefs, may, you know, may be much worse, depending on your point of view. And um, you just don't know because you don't know the person. So that's kind of what, that's kind of what it, the column was about. And yeah, so I approached it with just basically like trying to outline like the, the four or five different minds I have, you know, the, the different perspectives I have. And um, they're sometimes a little bit contradictory. On the one hand, I say, yeah, people should definitely buy according to their beliefs. It would be a better world if we all did that. I'd like to think that I do, but like a lot of people, I know that I don't. I mean, I have Amazon Prime and I, you know, I know that Amazon is not really a company I should be supporting, but especially during the pandemic, you know, we have Amazon boxes landing here pretty often. We all buy gasoline. We all buy clothes that are made in factories we've never visited. And so, you know, it just, it gets very tricky very quickly. Sure. Do you enjoy writing about topics like these more than maybe some other topics like, you know, where you can't define a clear perspective or, or you don't feel that you, you should define a clear, per, you know, one single perspective on an issue? Yeah. I mean, I always try to be thoughtful. I always try to, you know, see both sides. Um, it's certainly easier if, to write it if you have just a very clear, very strong opinion. It just requires, in some ways, it sounds bad, but maybe a little bit less thought, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) If I just know going in the way I felt and I've known it for years, then it's a lot easier than if I have to, like, really wrestle with it. But a lot of times, I think readers seem to appreciate it when you do wrestle with it. When you acknowledge that, like, in some ways, it's just lazy just to denounce one side or the other or just to, you know, I talked to Charles Van, I think it's Van Wee or maybe Van Wy. I'm not entirely sure about about this. And he's a very affable guy. And I've gotten a lot of emails from people saying what a wonderful guy he is and how much they've enjoyed knowing him and drinking his milk. And to just denounce somebody because you don't like their politics, I think it's would be a silly thing. Now, do you think this is going to fizzle out or is this going to be a, a bigger thing or is it going to go on for a while? Like I said in the column, I've covered a few of these things before. There was a, you know, a brouhaha about the store in Troy that was selling Trump t-shirts. I mean, they had like two Trump t-shirts in their inventory, an inventory of thousands of t-shirts, but people were upset about that and wanted to boycott the store. I mean, these things, these little Facebook firestorms flare up and they usually usually don't last very long. Do you think this one is deserving of like a moniker, like Milkgate or something like that? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. (laughs) 
But I do think that they'll lose customers over it. And, you know, part of a, one of the reasons I was a little bit hesitant to write the column is I do fear that they'll lose customers over it. It's a little tricky. You know, you know I don't want to hurt them. But on the other hand, like this is a subject of debate in the community, as you said, like you're seeing it all over Facebook. So like that's kind of what a columnist is supposed to do is kind of wade into these things. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't, I don't think it'll last a long time. I, I mean, I think they will lose customers. And Charles Van Wee seems okay with that. You know, he's, he said to me, like he understands that not everyone's going to agree with him. And he understands that some people will not buy his milk because of it. But he feels, you know, he's been there. Their family's been farming there for 100 years or more. And they just look it through it. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are also, we should say, people who will go out of their way to buy their milk because he's a Trump supporter. Right. So it does cut both ways, you know, and part of the reason that this is focused on people who don't like Trump is because that's probably the majority of his customer base, just looking at where he's delivering. But that's, you know, that's not entirely true. I know many of my neighbors are Trump voters, you know, and they deliver in this neighborhood. There's more diversity of thought out there than sometimes we think. And sure, too, it's, you know, a lot easier to have things delivered these days, these specific days than it is to, you know, have to go out to the store and get it. So there's there's an added layer of stuff there. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the problems I think that they do have with flying the flags is that for a lot of people getting your milk, and I don't really say this in the column, but for a lot of people getting your milk delivered, it's just kind of like a feel-good thing. You don't really have to get your milk delivered. You do it just because it, you just you just feel good about it. And if for some people the flags make them not feel good about it, I, you know, I can see that they would just figure, well, I don't need this anyway. It's, not, it's more of a luxury than a necessity. You know, we all go to grocery stores, we all pass, especially when it's not a pandemic, but we all go to grocery stores and we all pass milk that we can just as easily buy as the milk that gets delivered to your house, you know. I'm sure that you will have no shortage of things to write about as the capital region opens up and more people go to their grocery stores, you know, or more people go out and and congregate and such. So there'll be lots to look forward to. Yeah, I guess so. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate going over the topic. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. After the break, what is up with the May weather? If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. This month's weather has been remarkable for a number of reasons. We've seen a snowstorm and a tornado inside of a week. What's up with that? I checked in with meteorologist Jason Goff about what's going on and to see whether we can finally put away those winter clothes. Tell me first, is there anything crazy or unusual about the weather we've been having this spring? I always caution folks to not think of weather as crazy or, you know, th- those are headline grabbing uh, words and <laughs> I, I understand that, but I, I'm sort of a weather purist and I, I protect the weather in that sense. So I always like to say that weather is never weird or crazy or wacky. It's just weather. That said, uh, this spring has sucked. Okay. Up until this week, it's been, um, you know, leaving a lot to be desired. We had, of course, uh, you know, the weekend of Mother's Day when we had Tulip Fest that was as close to calling the weather crazy as I'll get because it was. 
you know, I think you'd have to be a, a tried and true weather geek to truly appreciate this, but to have snow showers on May 9th at two 30 in the afternoon with the sun out, that's about as goofy as it gets. Uh, <laughs> and that air mass was a record breaker. It was the coldest uh, air aloft at about 500 millibars on record. Now records only go back to 1950, but still you're talking 70 years. That was the coldest shot of air we've had overhead uh, for May the 9th. So yeah, it's been a trying spring. I mean, are there any explanations for why we got such a cold draft? Yeah. And, it, you know, and for the snow lovers, it's kind of a double whammy because we weren't able to tap into these same mechanisms in the wintertime uh, that we did in the spring. And I'm talking about the, the old polar vortex. And so this winter, um, the polar vortex was very healthy it was tight meaning it was just confined up over the north pole basically and it didn't break off as it tends to do and that's what gives us or europe or wherever these cold outbreaks and it also provides you know a, a, at least an opportunity for us to get some nor'easters so we couldn't buy that pattern this winter and then in the spring it decides oh well let's throw a little cold air down to the northeast uh, here in April and May because, you know, we're trying to make up for lost time. So that's essentially what it was. But for now, uh, we are, you know, in we are into spring. We had a great week, you know, lots of sunshine around uh, through through the week leading up to Memorial Day. So we're in, we're in good shape now and it's time to swap over the winter and summer clothes. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. So I can do that now with complete confidence that I'm not going to have to break out my winter parka again. <laughs> exactly. Yes. To me, you know what, like breaking out summer clothes is kind of like breaking out Christmas decorations. It's a lot more fun to take out than to put away. So uh, <laughs> I kind of look forward to it. Excellent, excellent. And when do you think you're going to do that? Uh, I'm going to do that today. Good, okay. I've been waiting. I've been waiting just for the exact reason you said, like I don't want any false starts. You know what I mean? Once sure. the winter clothes are away, I don't want to take them back out again. I won't use the term crazy again, but extreme. Let's, let's use the term extreme weather. We had a bit of uh, extreme weather in a different realm, we there was a tornado touchdown last week, yes. right? Yep, on a Friday the 15th, uh, we had an EF1 tornado that went through uh, Wilton. You know, that was a pretty good severe weather day. I actually wrote a post and, and I put it in uh, a couple of my forecasts and, you know, that you guys had put out as well about as bad as that day was, it could have been worse, but it was still open for business. Uh, the weather service went out and did a survey in four different counties and they found that tornado there in Saratoga County. And then also a couple of different types of what they call downbursts, which are basically just big columns of wind that collapse out of a storm and they hit the ground and radiate out from there and they cause some damage too. So it's not certainly unheard of for us to have tornadoes here. I mean, we're not Oklahoma, but we, we average a few a year in, in the entire area. So uh, we got a little bit of an early start this year. You know, tornadoes in May are not as unusual as snow in May, right? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I would say that the answer to that is yes. Uh, you, you are much more likely to, that's a really good question. You're much more likely to get a tornado in May than you are snow. Well, we got both. So there you go. <laughs> How about that? And they're pretty close together too, for crying out loud. Wouldn't want life to get boring, Jess. You know what I mean? Nope, certainly not, and especially not during this time. And, and on that note, speaking of hurricanes, what uh, is hurricane season looking like this year? It's just about to begin, right? Yes, it, it begins officially on June the 1st. Uh, we did have Tropical Storm Arthur, um, which was 
you know, sort of a talking point, if you will. It ended up being a 60 mile per hour tropical storm that kind of grazed the Outer Banks. It didn't make landfall officially, but it brought some wind and rain uh, to the Outer Banks. It was closest to Hatteras there. That in and of itself is not terribly unusual. It actually is the sixth year in a row that we've had a storm outside of the hurricane season, which runs from uh, June 1st to the end of November. But this year uh, is looking like it is going to be another active season. Uh, We've had several active seasons in a row, above average seasons, and there is evidence now that La Nina is going to be kicking in as we head into the fall. And that tends to promote hurricane development as opposed to an El Nino, which can suppress it. The interesting thing to me is that, that I've read, is that, you know, the last couple of years, we haven't really been in, in a La Nina type of pattern. Uh, they, they tend to sort of oscillate and go back and forth every three, four, five years. The sort of disconcerting thing for the forecasters and, you know, in the Hurricane Center and the Colorado State and, and at other universities and places, uh, that we managed some pretty active seasons despite La Nina. So it's kind of like, oh, geez, if we did this well without the help of La Nina, what's this year going to be like? And all signs are that it is going to be a very active season, which is obviously the last thing this country needs. You know, hurricanes, they don't care about any virus on the ground. They're going to do their thing. So let me ask you, and this, you know, your answer may be no to this, and that's, that's actually encouraging to hear. But if it isn't, what has anything about this pandemic changed the way you've had to do your job as a meteorologist? The really cool thing about weather is, and, and obviously I'm just, I'm immersed in it, but weather ties into everything that we do. And so you could look at it in one of two ways. You could say, well, no, weather doesn't really affect what we're doing. In fact, you could argue that Um, people don't care as much about weather because you don't have to worry. We didn't have to worry about snow days and you don't have to worry about, oh, it's going to be a messy commute. I mean, obviously there are, you know, still a lot of people that were going to work, but not nearly as many. So when you have less cars on the road, you just have less opportunities for bad things to happen, you know, in that sense. But in the other side of things, you know, we finally turned the corner, you know, after the middle of the month of May and really got into some good weather. It's just important for me you know, personally, and as my, you know, the responsibility that I've taken on to inform everybody of the weather that cares to listen. <laughs> I just want to make sure that everybody's aware that, hey, you know, I understand the weather has really stunk here the last six weeks, but now we're getting into some really good stuff. You don't have to worry about freezes anymore. So it takes on more importance because it is so important for the mental health of everybody to get outside and get fresh air and and for the physical health too, but the mental health aspect of it so that people can go out and they can work in the yard and, uh, you know, and garden and and do whatever it is that kind of gives them some peace and makes, makes folks feel productive and happy and taking dogs for walks or whatever the case may be. So, you know, you could argue on the other side that weather is never, forecasts have never been more important in this case because, you know, people want to get outside as much as they possibly can. And, oh, by the way, for businesses, too, with the state starting to reopen, you know, the state is encouraging people and businesses to, to keep their operations outside. You know, restaurants that already have patios are used to this, but perhaps restaurants that don't or didn't and will this summer, they really want to pay attention to the weather, especially if we're going to have, you know, pop-up storms and all of that. I've worked in restaurants in my former life and being a waiter out on an outside patio when storms are coming is no fun because you got to break everything down quickly. And so if you're aware of that ahead of time, it will just, it will help businesses as well. 
Indeed, indeed. And now one more question and, and a bit of a personal one. Uh, what have you been doing for fun during the pandemic while you're kind of <laughs> staying at home or staying, you know, staying socially distanced? For me, in a sense, this, this hasn't been a, as big a lifestyle change for me as it has for a lot of people because I've been working from home since I left the station. So I've been, I'll tell you one thing that I've been doing. I love to cook. So I've been trying different dishes. I've been cooking a lot of Asian dishes lately, which has been really fun. You know, my old staples are Italian and Mexican. So I was like, oh, you know, just a lot of different noodle dishes and things. So I've cooked uh, different things that way. And I've done some cooking videos. I am outside a lot with my dog. She just loves to be out and running around out. And so we go on long walks and hikes and things. And so, you know, it's uh, as everybody has had to do, you just sort of adapt to the situation at hand and try to find as much positive as you can and enjoy the things and take the opportunity to do things that you otherwise may not have done. That's great. So Jason, you write, for, you have a forecast on the timesunion.com every day, but you also have uh, additional features over at jasonsweather.com, right? Yes. So I, that's another thing that I've been doing, which has been fun, is just writing a lot of different blogs and articles and things. Um, I have a full write-up about what we were talking about earlier, about that Friday's severe weather. So you can go and check that out. Um, and I have all kinds of different things on there that are tailored to the season. So if you if you wanted to, you know, like I, I want to mow the cut the grass on Saturday, what's the weather going to be like? I'll have, I have specific forecasts for everything. And that's sort of the whole goal of the site is to give – uh, folks forecast that they need for what it is that they're doing in their lives. I really enjoyed doing that. And of course, throughout hurricane season, I'll be keeping up with all the storms. And there are other special uh, severe weather section uh, on the site that people can check out and recreational forecast, tea time forecast, you name it, I've got it. And if there's something that you don't see that you need, you just email me and I'll email you back. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, give me a little insight into, into how you're doing things these days. And we'll, we'll check in with you another time soon. I'll look forward to it, Jess. Thanks so much. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside our newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on social or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. Hope you can get outside and enjoy that lovely weather. Catch you next time.